Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much again, Lord, just for this opportunity to dig into your word, this opportunity to study your word, Lord. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord. All these notes I have up here, Lord, they mean nothing. Lord, I want to hear from you today, Lord. I want to hear what you would teach us through these words, Lord, your holy word, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for your presence here. I pray for your presence upon the children and upon the teachers of the children, Lord, that they would just know something else that they didn't know before about you, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you and just ask for a blessing on this time in your presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I told you I was going to talk about the red box, right? It even got some change in it, like they do in Thailand, you know, where they have they put the coins in it so they can shake it. So we're going to get into that. But first, last week, who remembers where we were at? We we're in Matthew chapter 23. We always got to start with a slight review because it's not just a review because the way I'm teaching, I'm teaching chronologically through the New Testament. So we know Jesus taught Matthew 23, the seven woes. But then right after that teaching, we're going to get into today's text. So it's all in chronological order, walking with Jesus and the disciples as we go through this. So Matthew 23, the seven woes. Who remembers that? Remember that Jesus was using this religious leader's bad examples as a warning for all of us of what not to do. Remember the seven woes or the seven sorrows? We've heard many times heard this before. And most of us, I'm sure, as we look through this, if you look, you can look at them back in Matthew 23 if you want. But most of us, I know we're guilty of this, right? We see these things and we say, well, these are some really bad things, but I don't have these things in my life, right? That's typically our most of our response, including my own. But we, I ask that we would really examine ourselves and really look at each and every one of these woes and say, maybe we haven't fallen as far as these religious leaders have, but I'm sure if we look at it, all of us could see some of these things in our own lives that could probably improve. But then I asked, say you say, well, that's not me, any of these things, right? Maybe it's not. That's good. Hopefully it's not. But then what is the opposite is what I asked you. If you didn't say I, these seven woes, that's not who I am. But are you doing the opposite of what these woes were? So I'm going to go back through every one of these because I asked last week that you would look at each one of them. And then you would go through this week and say, am I doing each of these things? Right? So let me just, you can turn there. Matthew 23. Um, Verse 13 is where we started. I'm not going to go through the, all the scriptures, but you can see the sorrows. There's seven of them there. I got them highlighted in pink in my Bible. But So we're going to look at the opposite. What was the first one, right? It says, to keep your word. What was it? Nope. The first one was hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, right? So you're like, oh, I don't do that. I don't create barriers be- that would come between a person knowing Jesus, Right? That's not who I am. Right? You would say that. But let's look at the opposites. We're not going to go through them all. But is your life as a Christian this week, this very week, is your life as a Christian guiding people to know Jesus? Can you give an example this week? Because we should be able to. You say, well, I don't create barriers. That's fine. You're not creating barriers. But did you create a bridge for someone to know Christ this week? 
Were you an example that someone would seek after Jesus this very week? The second sorrow, the question is, are you leading people to Jesus, not to a church, not to a function, but they would become disciples of Jesus? All right, the second, third one, are you following the instructions given to us in God's word and leading others to follow the word of God, not man's word, not traditions? And in the same sense, is our yes, yes, and our no's no? Are we keeping our word? See the timer, Aaron? The fourth one, is your focus in life, look at this last week, what was your focus? What was your main thing this whole last week? Was it to live out the greatest commandment, to love God and love others? Right? Maybe you said, I'm not with them sorrows. But was that your main focus last week? About number five, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do a deep spiritual cleaning within your life? That way your insides are free of sin, but it's called sanctification. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to do an amazing work inside of your life? Is your insides match your outsides is what it comes down to. Because a lot of us, you know, we I got a new purple shirt on today. I think it looked, I'm, I was pretty, I thought it looked pretty good. I was like, well, I like purple. I don't wear purple very often. I'm like, it looks good. So I look and I got a new pair of pants that I got when I was in Hawaii, right? So I'm like, I was like, ah, I look pretty good. And then, but you know what? What's, what do I look, what's my insights? Because none of this matters. What is inside? Is God doing a real work inside of your heart and inside of your life? Now, the next one gets right into number six. Are you living a life that is transparent? Goes right to that one. Do people truly know you for who you truly are? Or do you live two lives? You can look at that sixth woe. It says hypocrites, like whitewashed tombs. This is the opposite of this one. The seventh one, it talks about the religious leader persecuting the saints or the prophets, right? And they said they've not done that. But the truth is we know what they did to Jesus and all the rest of the disciples. So the truth is, in number seven, I say, are you truly repentant and have you turned from your old sinful life? Look at you, just, just last week. Have you lived this last week? Were you living a repentant life? So that was last week, right? But this is what Jesus taught on. And I've asked, I've asked, and I've asked, and I asked myself, what is it to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I think these seven examples that I've given give a good example of what we should be living as a Christian each and every week. And, uh, you know, most of the time we see these lists of what we should not be doing. But sometimes we need to look at the other side of what we should be doing as Christians, not just what we should not be doing. So we need to live that out. Now, I hope each one of us, as I asked last week in last week's sermon, would look at and take an inventory of our lives and say, is this how I am walking as a Christian? That's what I asked. That's all I preached on last week. So Jesus taught on these seven woes, using these religious leaders as, I call them bad apples, poor examples of what we should not be as a Christian. And then I went into what we should be as a Christian. Now, I know we want to say yes to all these things, right? Yeah, I did this. I think we should see actions as we walk as Christians. It's not just words. Jesus gave us a stern, stern, stern warning. Remember the words he used? Vipers, snakes, stern warning. 
about not to be like these religious leaders. But after he gave us this stern warning, what did we see? We saw the character of who God is in Matthew 23 in the end, in the last verses. We saw his love, right? We were again reminded after this stern warning, we saw Jesus' plan always includes love, reconciliation, redemption, peace, love. But he's a just God also. Now today, we're going to continue our walk as we walk alongside Jesus and the disciples in these last days. It's Tuesday, right? It's actually Tuesday evening now. It's taken us like four months to get through Tuesday. Because we've been studying all the lessons that Jesus had taught. Now it's Tuesday evening. Jesus is wrapping up the teaching, right? And when we continue our study today, we're going to continue actually in Luke chapter 21. So if everyone could please turn to Luke chapter 21. And we are going to go through this entire chapter. So... Let's see if we can keep up together. See the title of the sermon? Do you have a faithful heart as you watch and prepare for Jesus? Think of that as we get into this. So let's read the first four verses. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Most of us are very familiar with this story, right? I think most everyone's probably read this, this first four verses. We're going to briefly look at what lessons we can learn from these passages, kind of going to touch on it. See, we're going to go through the whole chapter. But before I dig into this first four verses, I think we need to read Mark's account of this also. So let's turn to Mark's account in Mark chapter 12, just back a few pages. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. There's some more details that he gives that I wanted to make sure we saw. So Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped off two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, gave everything she had to live on. Now, the first, stay right there, kind of hold your finger and, and look, but do you see the first detail that I noticed that was in Mark's account but not Luke's? Do you see that Jesus, what was he doing? It says, he sat down. Do you see that? That's the first thing I, I saw that wasn't in Luke's account. He wasn't just wandering by the area. He had went over near that area and he had sat down. He had sat down next to the offering box. Now, I'm assuming this widow was a woman. Um, I'm pretty sure that would be correct. So this would have actually been in the court of the women. There was a widow there. And so kind of interesting. So Jesus was walking. You think about this. So what had happened, Jesus had taught, right, the lesson that we learned all about last week. And he was walking out through the courtyards. And when he got to the court of the women, he had sat down in the court of the women next to the offering box. 
making his way out. He's watching people as they were giving their offerings and their tithes. You know, I think about that. Jesus had been teaching all day. We know this, right? So perhaps he was taking just a small break after he had taught before heading back for the night, right? You know, I could relate to this. After you teach, right, after I'm up here for an hour or so, after you teach, it's nice to go down and just sit down for a few minutes and take a little break before you go on to whatever you have next. So I was thinking, well, at least I got one thing in common with Jesus. So we notice, also look back there, what was, who was Jesus sharing this teaching to that's in that account that's not in the other account? Who was he sharing it to? The disciples. He called, it wasn't just some random person, he called, he said, disciples, get over here. Jesus had seen something that he wanted to share to the disciples about. He had called the disciples over, come here. Right? So this is very intentional. Jesus wanted these disciples to understand something that Jesus had observed dealing with this box. Right? So turn back to Luke chapter 21. So I asked, I've already mentioned a few times, but did you notice how the tithings and offerings were collected? A box. We have a really fancy decorated box here at Refuge. It's really high-end. It's got a slit we cut with a pair of scissors in the top. It's really fancy. So we're following biblical principles, I guess, with having a box, right? I do. Do you know why we have a box here at Refuge and it sits back there? Anyone want to just think about that for a second? Why would I do a box, a simple box that sits back there and not pass an offering plate or, you know, there's different ways to do it. And I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with doing it that way. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is the way I feel called to do it at this point. But why, why would I do that? You know why? Because it, I want whatever tithes and offerings to, that go into that box, I want it back there because it gives the least attention to the giver. And you know the other part? You know, maybe I would change it. I think about it. Maybe I would change this box if there was a line. After each service, if there was a line forming to get to the box, I might have to pass an offering, you know, because then it would draw attention to the box and the people giving the offerings, right? We haven't had that problem, though. So... We just have the box back there. Now, I do put it over there by the sound booth, intentional. Um, I don't. I used to have it over to the right. I found out that's a bad idea. Uh, so we put it over there because there's someone in the sound booth typically. So when people do put offerings and ties in the box, they stay in the box if they're over by the sound booth. We'll just leave that alone. <laughs> so that's why I have it by the sound booth. But I have the box because I really I want to focus off the people that are giving. I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to know who puts what in the box. I don't want to know how, who puts anything in the box. I don't want to know how little or how much you put in the box. If God leads you that way, that's great. And we should tithe and give offerings. I, I, I will say that. But it's not, that's between you and God. So I like it to remain that way. Now looking back at the text, go back to the text. Look at them first four verses again. How much money do you think this woman gave in today's money? What do you think it would be? I looked it up, and it's not an exact figure. Um, in U.S. dollars, it would be like two pennies. In Myanmar, I mean, it's a little more than that. But in today, it would be like taking two fifty jet bills. You guys don't have coins, so if you imagine a bill fifty jets, right? What can you get for fifty jets? I don't know anything actually. Anything you can get? I don't know of anything. Nothing good. There might be one thing I can think of on the street, but that's not good for you. Uh, nothing, right? So this lady has given. 
two bills, 50 jets apiece is basically what she's stuck in this offering box. So imagine that, dropping in there, two, 50, two bills of 50 jets. I mean, it would have been coins. Clink, clink. Now, I seen that right away as we look at this, I, there's some lessons that we can learn from these verses. Three lessons. Look at it. What's the, the first lesson, the spirit of how we give is what determines the value in God's eyes. Read that again. The spirit of how we give is what determines the value in God's eyes. King David said it this way. It's in 2 Samuel 24, 24, if you want to look it up. But no, I insist on buying. He's talking about the land. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. I think some of you are familiar with that story. The second lesson, another lesson. God doesn't need your money to do the work he's going to do. God always provides where he resides. Hear that? God doesn't need your money. That's our gift to him, our blessing. God doesn't need it. He's going to do the work with or without your financial means. Because wherever God provides, it's where he resides. The third lesson. We should not say to the Lord, I will give when I have more. If I, Lord, if you will bless me with more, then I will give. You see that? That's not the heart that the Lord is seeking after. The heart, the heart of the, the giver that the Lord seeks is one that will give like this, the widow has given. Now, after Jesus has warned us about all these sins we saw last week, uh, Jesus is now pointing out, you know, he's warned us about all these things not to do, and now Jesus is now sitting there talking to the disciples, right? Talking about this widow's might and giving this example of this woman's extraordinary faith and her giving heart. Now, after reading this, I was thinking about it. I got the box up here right now. But, well, somebody will come grab it here at some point and we'll take it back there. But I wonder if I should do like Jesus did here. After the service, go get a chair and sit by the box and watch it. That's what Jesus did here, right? He sat down and watched what people did. I'm not going to do that. I don't know. I don't want to know what I'll see. I don't want to watch who puts in what. But it's kind of, I thought about that. I'm not going to do that. But I don't want to, again, I don't want to know how much a person gives or how much a person doesn't give. I want to treat everyone here just exactly the same and never have an opportunity to have in my mind, oh, that person gives a lot or that doesn't give a lot. I don't think it would affect me, but I don't, I don't even want the thought in my mind. I don't want to know. So in these next verses, um, we're going to go through, it's 5 through 24. Jesus is going to start a whole different subject. He's going to foretell of things to come. The signs of the end of age. Prophecy. You ready for this? This is always fun, right? Now we're going to start just in verses 5 and 6. And Jesus is going to start there, and he's going to start talking about the destruction of the temple. Now, as we get into these things here in the whole rest of the chapter 21, there's some difficult subjects that we're going to talk about. And when we talk about prophecy and end times, or you can get into the big theological words, exotology, boy, there's a million opinions on these, some of these matters. And I'm, I mean, we're just going to barely scratch the surface of this. I mean, Luke, he just, Jesus just touching on it. If you're interested in studying what we're going to talk about more, Revelation 6 and throughout the rest of the whole rest of Revelation talks about what we're going to talk about in a half hour. So we're just, we're barely going to touch this. 
It's an interesting study if you ever want to look into it later. There's whole books written on this stuff. I'm not going to get into a lot of it today. There's a lot of different opinions, pre-trib, post-trib. There's a lot of different things, but there's a lesson. All of that's great. It's a great to study it, but there's a basic lesson that Jesus is trying to tell us here. So we're just going to touch on this, and there is a very, very important one single lesson that Jesus has for us in this, though. So let's look at this. Get into this. Verses five and six, back in Luke chapter twenty-one. Some of his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, "The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another." Think about that. Now, I always ask you guys to put yourself in the story, right? I'm going to use, I'm going to use a term. I hope you guys, you guys, who's seen Back to the Future? Anyone? Back to the Future? Even me? I got a few, even. Back to the Future? You guys know, you know, he's got his DeLorean. He's got the time machine, right? So I need everyone to get into your time machine and get your flux capacitor going. And we're going to go, I want you guys to go back in time. Okay? Back in time. I want you to go back to this temple. I want, you to go into the temple. I want you to walk with Jesus. I want you to walk alongside of the disciples. Can you do that with me? We can do it. Well, I was like, yeah, I can do it. Now imagine being in the temple. Seriously, imagine this. Imagine the splendor, the glory, the just how majestic this temple would have been. It would have been amazing, right? It would have been absolutely amazing. And you can imagine the disciples as he's talking, walking and just looking in just astonishment how glorious this was. This was God's house. This is where God did reside at one point. At one point. Think about this. How amazing it would be. How would it be, how amazing would it be for us today? Just to walk through that and see that. It would have been amazing. So what these disciples, they're just, they're just amazing looking at this. Walking through. They're walking out. Remember? Because they, they'd been in the courts with Jesus or teaching. They'd walked to the women's court. And now they're walking out, right? Walking back to, for the evening. And they're just like, wow. Wow. Look at this place. And, What's Jesus go and say? What's he say? You hear the disciples talking? What's Jesus' response to this whole discussion? He tells them the whole place is going to be leveled. It's going to be torn down. Not one stone will stand upon another stone. Could you imagine the disciples' faces just looking back at Jesus or looking forward whichever way? Just like, what are you talking about? I mean, this place is huge. Even in modern standards, it would be a huge undertaking to tear this place down. Romans did a fantastic job. There's a lot of story. I researched a lot of it and why they did it and what they did and Interesting, if you want to get into that, and what it would have taken to dismantle the temple the way they did it. Interesting. That took a lot of work. And they actually had explosives. If you look back into it, it's interesting. But it's a whole different thing. Let's just continue and see Jesus's and the disciples reply to this statement. So let's let's look about more here. Look at verse 7. We're going to look, read all the way 7 through 11. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place. He replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and saying, The time has come, but don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end will not, won't follow immediately. Then he asked, Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. There will be great famines and plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. Now, we're going to dig into that. There's a lot there, right? But, again, 
I want to look at Mark's account real quick. Because Mark has a... We've got to look at all this to try to get our heads around some of this. Turn back to Mark again, chapter 13. Look at verse 3. Mark 13, 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across from the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came up to him privately and asked him. You see that? This adds a little more to the story. So when you read Luke's account, you think these things just instantly happened, right? They didn't just happen. So truthfully, what happened, as the disciples are walking just in amazement looking at this, right? Just amazement, talking to each other, look at this, look at that, look how beautiful that is. And then Jesus says the place is going to be tore down, right? But then they they hear this. There was no response actually at that time. They walked many miles back to the Mount of Olives thinking about this, pondering about this. What did he just say? Did he say what we think he said? Why would he say so? I mean, I'm sure they were questioning their minds. I mean, it wouldn't make sense to them, obviously. Or maybe they're thinking they're, maybe he's thinking they're going to build a bigger one because he's going to be the Messiah. I don't know for sure, but this, this didn't just happen immediately. An hour went by, maybe an hour. I don't know however long it took them to walk back to where they were sleeping that evening. And then when they got there, privately, the four of them went to Jesus and wanted to ask him, about these things and what have ta- why why did you say this right so they wanted to understand what Jesus meant and when this terrible destruction would happen now you see back in uh, Mark's account Jesus answers them in verse four but this and this begins now a real pr- a prophecy the teaching of the end of days and also it's going to continue into Jesus is going to get into his second coming now as Jesus begins this prophecy. And to tell us and reveal these things to the disciples and to us, what is his first thing he starts with? Go back to Luke chapter 21, verse 8. First thing he starts with, do not let anyone mislead you. That's his first concern before getting into this. You know, Jesus is so concerned because he knows there's so many false prophets that are going to come and try to mislead God's people. Now, Jesus goes through these scriptures again. We are just going to touch on this. I mean, barely skate over the top of this stuff. I just, um, again, it's a study by itself. But Jesus is explaining that we're, you look in that text, he's explaining there's going to be many wars and many different things are going to happen around us. But he also explains that just when we see all these things, that doesn't, just because we see a war or these different travesties happening in our world, it doesn't mean the end is near. It actually means it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, verse 8. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Jesus is using this analogy of labor pains to describe wars. They're only the beginning, just the beginning labor pains. It's only the first signs. There's a lot of ladies here. I mean, you imagine the first, first tinge of a labor pain. I've had four children. So I've seen my wife and she gets that first. She's like, oh, I think Maybe I'm going into labor. Maybe I'm not. Then a few hours later, she's like, oh, yeah, it's time to go to the hospital, right? But the first initial ones, she's like, oh, yeah, I think, you know. And then right away, not long after that, she starts noticing. But, it's a, you know, labor is a long process. It's something that builds up and gets worse and worse. And then the blessing comes. He's saying these things he's talking about here is just the beginning, just labor pains for what's to come. In these next verses, Jesus is going to prophesy, prophesy, of the persecution of the stains. We're going to see this in verses 12 through 19. Let's read that. Again, I'm just touching on this today. 
But before it all occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into the synagogues and the prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors, because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell others about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win souls. I preach through the entire word of God. Some messages are difficult to hear. Jesus is clear in these scriptures We as Christians will be personally persecuted for our faith to the point of being betrayed, hated, and even killed at some point in time, possibly. And then as we hear that wonderful, not-so-wonderful news, right, this fate that we have as Christians because of our faith, what's Jesus say? Does he say, you know, he says, you know, of course, maybe you'd have perseverance and I will be with you. But he says, no, he's told by Jesus to use that opportunity as you're being persecuted, as you're being hated, as you're being walking through all these things, to share about Christ's love. Wow. But then, as you see that tall order, says, Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about your words. I, in these times, will give you the words to say. And these words will be so powerful. What's it say? So powerful. The opponents will not be able to reply or even refute you, it says. It's amazing. This is hard. It's hard to read sometimes. There's some, these times will be difficult. There's times will be very difficult. You know, unfortunately, it also warns us here, though, that as we as Christians and people maybe even sitting here today or people in the church, there's some that will start to face these times that it's speaking of here. They will face this persecution. And unfortunately, we see here, some will turn from their faith. Yes, turn to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly... That in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teaching that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. Wow. We shouldn't be surprised as we see some of these things unfold. Jesus is clearly warning us and telling us what we can expect as time progresses as the time draws closer to the end of days, as the time goes closer to our Lord and Savior coming. Jesus is warning us. And I'm going to tell you, hearing this and even walking as a Christian, sometimes it's hard. It's difficult as you face these things. And we see here very clearly there is a cost to being a believer of Jesus Christ. I think each one of us, we can look in our lives and say, and look at the costs. I've lost family members. Has a following Christ cost you? Many of us have lost friendships, jobs, promotions, even relationships with family members because of our faith. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not alone. You're not alone in your faith with Jesus Christ. Look around you. There's people all around you right now that are walking through the same thing. We know that Christians have suffered persecution since Jesus walked on this planet. And they're still suffering today. And Jesus knew this would take place, and he predicted that these things would happen. 
Now, even though we know that, and we, we should expect these things to happen, right? We should expect them to happen. It's still, still difficult to walk through persecution. It's difficult. It's hard. And as we persevere and we walk through as Christians, we must remember again, remember, look around. You are not alone. Many other Christians are walking that same path as you. And Jesus himself endured this same worse persecution than we will face. Remember that also. I was reading a study Bible, and it said it this way as, as we talk about this. Take the rejection of the world as confirmation of your acceptance by the Lord. Take the rejection of the world as a confirmation of your acceptance by the Lord. Wow. I'm encouraged to read these verses knowing as we face all of these things and these tribulations and these trials, but you see, Jesus will equip us to do the work that he's called us to do. We're not alone in this, right? We see that. And I love also, as you continue, you see the promise. You guys see the promise also in verse 18? What do you see? But not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win souls. Again, during all of this, we are promised eternal life with our Lord and Savior. I'm sorry to say, he's talking eternally when he's talking in this verse. This is not of this world when he's talking. That is an eternal promise. Now, in these next verses, we're going to get into Jesus will foretell of the destruction of Jerusalem. So let's read 20 through 24. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out. And those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be the days of God's vengeance. And the prophetic words of the scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against these people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away of captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. The destruction of Jerusalem. Now, as we look at this, I read some commentaries. I read a lot on this week. This is a difficult passage to preach through. But Josephus, many of you are familiar with his writings. Um, he put it this, he said that 97,000 people were taken prisoner when Jerusalem fell. And he said a million people, up to a million people were killed when this all went down. Think about that. But also he mentioned something, and him and another historian mentioned very, very, very few Christians were actually captured or killed during this time, during when in 70 AD is when we're talking about. And they say, I mean, we don't obviously know all the details, but they're guessing a lot of them knew the Christians had heard this teaching, and they had saw the Romans, and they fleed, and they followed this prophecy, they believe. So they say, it's early church tradition, many, many Christians, they, they made it out. They were not part of this huge amount of people that were killed or even either taken captives. The Christian church still remained as they fled. So let's look again, look again at this, look at verse 24. Do you see this verse? Actually, if you look at it close, look at verse 24. You actually need to take that and like cut it in half, that verse, right? You see that? The first part is really referring to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD that we know about. But the second part, it's still going on today, right? still going on today. Look at that second part of verse 24. Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to end. 
If you go there today, uh, Jerusalem is not a Christian state, right? We know this. It is a Jewish state now, praise the Lord. So the next step is it to become a messianic, you know, for the Christians. But right now it is still taken by the Gentiles or by foreigners. So this time is still to come, but there will be a time in the future where this will also come to an end. Uh, Jesus, again, he's proclaiming destruction, war, persecution. Um, some of this that we see, uh, Jerusalem, has already happened. Yet we see some that's still to take place that has not happened yet. Uh, again, this is difficult to read. It can even, as we read some of this, it, we can even become discouraged, right? It's kind of discouraging you see some of this. You're like, oh, war, famine, sickness. It talks about um, difficult times for people. But uh, praise the Lord. In the next verses, we get to see Jesus declare our hope. The return of Jesus in verses 25 through 38. So that exciting part. So let's read 25 through 28. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. For the powers in heaven, for the powers in heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand, look up, for your salvation is near. Amen. Jesus is clearly, clearly telling of his second coming. This will be when all believers are drawn up to be with Jesus. Now, we could get into a lot explaining about this. I'm just going to take us to a few verses to look at. So let's look Revelation chapter 6. This is where it begins, verses 12 through 14. This is John explaining this same prophecy by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as a black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and every and free person all hid themselves in caves and among rocks and mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to survive? I want to look at another prophecy. Daniel. Way back here, about almost right in the middle of your Bibles. Daniel chapter 7. I marked my Bible. I'll give you a chance to get there. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule was eternal it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Amen. We're going to look at another one. Back to the New Testament. Go to Matthew. It'll be easier to find. Matthew 24, 27. Before we read this, a lot of people have said there's been a lot of false prophets. We were warned, right, about false teachers. Maybe the Messiah has already came, some people will say. There's some religions here right down the street that says says that. 
Let me explain something. When Jesus comes, there will be no mistake. None. You're not going to have to wonder. Matthew explains it here. Actually, I don't know if it's Jesus explaining it, but in Matthew. Matthew 24, 27. Just think about this as we read this. Matthew 24, 27. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of the vultures show here, there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicates the end is near. The entire east to west, you will not be able to, there will be no mistake when this happens. None. This is our hope. This is Jesus' promises fulfilled. We see this. This is him coming to draw up his children. This is our eternal hope that we have, knowing that this life, in all the trials, in all the sicknesses, in all the persecution that we face, and all the things that we have to walk through, the things that Jesus tells us that we're going to have to walk to, it's temporary. It's only temporary. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. And Jesus is coming. He's coming for us, for our, his children. That is our hope. That is where our faith lies when it comes down to all these things. Now, Jesus next, he's going to use a parable, a little mini parable, just to help us try to understand a little bit more about this prophecy. So look at verses back in Luke chapter 21, verses 29 through 33. Then he gave them this illustration. Jesus repeats it, makes sure, trying to get us to understand. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Now, a lot of people misinterpret this verse, and I'm not going to get into a big, long this debate on it, but I will tell you this. It says generation, right? A lot of people misinterpret that. If you look back to the Greek, it could be two things. Generation is this generation like all of us. all Like for the last 2,000 years is one way. Another way people have interpreted this, if you look back to the Greek language, the word is not even close to perfect to that, is also it's a race of people. So there's different ways you can look at that. This is commonly misinterpreted. But Jesus is using this mini parable to explain that we should be looking for signs. And when we see these signs, these things that are taking place around us, we can know what they're leading up to in the times that are coming. We're to be watching, waiting, living each day as he could come tomorrow. And we should see the signs as you see the signs on the fig tree of the leaves. We will give in signs. Uh, we're going to turn, turn to Mark 13, back to Mark. we got to look at one little thing there. Mark 13, 32. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. We are to live each day not knowing when our last will be. Live each day as Jesus could come tomorrow. Jesus is closing up this message um, with some simple instructions to be alert. Let's look at that in 34 through 38. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness. Or, I like this one, because right, everyone's like, oh, no, I'm not a carouser, right? Oh, no, I'm not a drunkard, right? What about this one? Or by the worries of this life. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Do not let the day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors 
and stand before the Son of Man. Every day Jesus went to the temple to teach, and each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. Jesus ends with a little warning. Stay alert. It's how we are to live as Christians, as we await the coming of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we close, I just want to touch three quick points in the passages I saw today. My closing, this is the shortest closing I've ever had. Looking at giving, let's go right back to the first one. We talk about the box, right? Do you see what impressed Jesus was not how much one gave, but the faith in the person's heart as they gave? What impressed Jesus was not how much one gave, but the faith in the person's heart as they gave. First point. The second point, if the worship team can head up. I wasn't kidding. This is my short closing. The second point, Jesus wants us to be looking for the signs which will lead to his coming. We are to be expectant as we await and persevere for his second coming. Be alert, watchful. Watch for the signs. Watch for Jesus' coming. Watch for these prophecies to come true and give him glory when they do. Third point, last point, we must be ready. That's what he ends with. Our response to this whole passage should be a preparedness. Are you ready? Are you ready at any given moment for the Lord Jesus Christ to come? If he came tonight, would you be ready? What would he see? What would you be doing? Are you ready? We're going to close with a verse. First Thessalonians. All the T's. I always flip through all the T's trying to find it. thought I even marked it. Timothy. Back. First, Thess- First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at 13 through 18. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like the people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Jesus is coming. Are we ready?